You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression, issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Stanza three of the hymn, O kingly love that faithfully, O seeking love, thy hurrying feet go searching still to urge and call the bad and good on every street to fill the boundless banquet hall. And we will hear about that banquet hall in this great parable of the wedding feast this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll spend some time with Pastor Sean Denzer. Looking forward to Sunday morning. Then it's listener email, the Issues Etc. comment line. And Dr. John Bombaro joins us to round things off, talking about Christianity and myth. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back, Todd. How do the propers for this coming Sunday deal with the what turns out to be the increasing rejection of Jesus and his message? We came off last week where we heard the parable of the wicked tenants, one of the most violent and, and hard ones to hear. And right on its heels is another just like it, that the Lord is gracious and extending his invitation and he is rejected. His servants are treated poorly. And we see that even the ones who show up, some of them despise their master and are unworthy of his feast also. All of this is driving towards Matthew chapter 25, which is Jesus' own apocalypse. He tells three parables in chapter 25, and these are the last three Sundays of the church year in year A. In fact, the last three Sundays that many are familiar with, even from the one-year lectionary, the sheep and the goats and the virgins, etc. So we see the open hostility against Jesus ramping up, and as it does in the Gospels, which is before his death and resurrection, remember, he is already talking about the end of the world and the judgment. He's putting it before those who reject him that the judgment day ought to be on their mind. And at the very same time as he's speaking to his disciples and his entourage, he's showing a knowingly indifferent attitude to all of this rejection. 
Our Lord is rejected in all ways by those who ought to have accepted him, as John's gospel says in the prologue, but we see that he does it nevertheless willingly for those who will receive his free grace. And this then is reflected in the fact that his parables in particular of judgment show that the judgment goes two ways. When the rightful authority is rejected, that means that those who reject him are also rejected by him, which is, I think, the logical conclusion that leads us to reject universalism. But we're going to see that again today, that you are not free to reject our Lord and not expect that he will also reject in return. What should we make of the overview of this coming Sunday? What are we looking forward to? Well, let's start in the gospel reading as we often do. And and let's just remember and have this in mind as we look through the other propers. The gospel is the parable about the king who throws the wedding feast for his son. Everything is invited. Come on, everybody. And uh, they ignore him, similar to the other parables that are like this. But this one in particular, they seize his servants, they treat them shamefully and kill them, just as we heard last week. And the king comes and destroys them all, those who were originally invited. They're not worthy, he says. But then he goes out and brings in good and bad, whoever he can find, so that the wedding hall is filled with guests. And then there's this add-on that somebody's there without a wedding garment, and the Lord throws him out. He has nothing to say when the Lord confronts him with that. And it concludes with this enigmatic statement, many are called, but few are chosen. So we see judgment ends this parable, and it ought to be a warning to us, much like last Sunday. So the propers, very much like last Sunday as well, have been assembled not so much around that judgment, but actually around the gospel, around those who are glad to be gathered into the Lord's chamber, those who are glad to be dressed appropriately for their master's feast, even though they maybe weren't the ones who were invited, weren't the ones who were being addressed originally by this parable. So we'll see that. All of the other propers are either banquet-focused or bride-focused, thinking about this wedding feast, or even guest-focused. And it's going to be putting voice to the voice of faith that is delighted to receive the Lord's mercy. As we see, he goes out and he gathers people who you would not have thought were invited or worthy of this feast, but he's glad to have them there. The epistle, as usual, is not so immediately well-suited to the gospel, except it does have the fruitful phrase that the Lord is at hand. This is why we should rejoice and rejoice again. We're here at the end of Philippians. This is to be our constant disposition, even before we have come into the Lord's eternal wedding banquet at the last day, that we are glad to see that he is at hand, that we are living as if he is always going to return imminently, that we're watchful for his coming, as Jesus will say when we do get to chapter 25. And I do think the final verse of our Old Testament reading does tie it together very well when Isaiah says, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The introit is a combination of Isaiah 61 and Psalm 146. Yeah, this is quite unusual, actually, to have not a psalm as the body of the intro, but to have a verse from the prophets. Usually those would show up as antiphons, but we have it the other way around here. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. That's the antiphon from 146. But now we go to Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. 
My soul shall exult in God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Well, I think we can see why it was chosen for the connection to the gospel, particularly emphasizing the garment, that wedding garment that seemed to have made all the difference for that last guy who got tossed out. And this verse is helpful because it does provide at least a generalized explanation of what that garment indicates in the gospel, namely that it is the robe of Christ's righteousness, that it is the garment of salvation. And it's especially excellent that here in Isaiah, it's tied up with the whole matter of wedding garbs, of brides and grooms. All of this is in the background of Isaiah's writing. It's also in the background of Jesus preaching that the Father and the Holy Trinity had always expressed its relationship to Israel as a groom, as the man to his bride. Thus, all of the idolatry we see is likened to adultery with Israel, especially in places like Hosea. So all of that is behind this and the occasion of a wedding banquet for Jesus to mention it fits well for this. It's the voice of those who are glad guests at the banquet, though, that we're hearing in this intro. It's not the king casting his judgment on the people who won't come, but it's us. It's those who've received the king and who honor his son that would say this. And what do we understand then by this garment of salvation, this robe of righteousness? That's an interesting metaphor to use. And it's one that I think we're familiar with in two places. It's used in our hymns, especially a lamb goes uncomplaining forth in the last stanza, but also something we hear every time a child or an adult is baptized. They're given some kind of cloth often or a garment, and it's said, receive the robe of Christ's righteousness and be reminded of that robe of Christ's righteousness that covers you of all your sins. So we, in fact, put on Christ, as Paul writes, and therefore, what are we to understand in some way about this garment? Well, what is the worthiness we would have to be at and remain in his kingdom? It would be that we're covered in his righteousness, covered by his blood and the forgiveness of sins, that we belong to him. And if we belong to him, then we abide with him. The collect for the coming Sunday is what? Almighty God, you invite us to trust in you for our salvation. Deal with us, not in the severity of your judgment, but by the greatness of your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is borrowed from Trinity 25 in the Lutheran hymnal, which uh, was newly composed, I think, in that century or may have been drawn from other sources. It continues to be used in that place in LSB. And it's added the part that we should trust in him for our salvation. You invite us, a clear connection to the gospel. Uh, but I think especially this comment about not deal with us, not according to the severity of your judgment, but according to your mercy. This is the cry of the sinner who knows their sin and calls out to the Lord to give them worthiness. That's going to be a central part in the gospel to ask the question, who is worthy to attend? The Lord will declare that those who are invited are not worthy. And the paradox, you might say, of Christianity is that worthiness is not something that lies first and foremost in us, that we have achieved, making ourselves worthy of meriting the Lord's favor or respect or attention. 
but it's just the opposite, that his gracious, undeserved kindness in Christ Jesus declares that we are worthy. He supplies what is needed, and this is the way that he brings his salvation to us. So this is all very helpful for this day. It's very good that we acknowledge the reality of God's judgment, especially as we come to that gospel, just like last Sunday. It's a warning. It's a warning that's placed in story form so that we would see what happens to those who take lightly the Lord's invitation or who flat out reject it, knowing that it is a rejection of him. And in turn, they should expect the same. God forbid that it should be that way for us. God forbid that he would ever deal with us according to his justice and his severity. Nobody could stand, as Psalm 130 says. Rather, we do trust him. Now, the invitation is not apparent, perhaps, in the parable that he invites us to trust in him. I think you'd say he's obviously inviting people to a meal. And for us in our day, that seems like a very low-key invitation. There's always another meal around the corner. But the reaction of the invitees, and this is kind of the point of the parable, the reaction of those who are invited shows that they really despise the master entirely, and they think that he won't actually act against them. They are confident and self-confident to the point that they have utterly despised him. To lack that, to not have the king for our salvation and the king as the source of our blessing means that you will have him as your judge and your executioner. So this is what we want to avoid and to express it right into our prayers. Lord, don't deal with us according to your judgment, but have mercy on us. This is the cry of faith. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Straight ahead, the Old Testament reading from the prophet Isaiah. Martin Luther on Mental Health, Practical Advice for Christians Today is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October. It's written by Lutheran layman Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University. Martin Luther on Mental Health is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Our church loves and is grateful for those that serve our country. Operation Barnabas, part of Ministry to the Armed Forces, equips you to reach out to veterans in your community to bring Christ to those that served. Call Ministry to the Armed Forces at 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Thank you for your service. Thank you. God bless our military. Are you on the road to paradise in the southern Puget Sound area of western Washington, but looking for a traditional liturgical Lutheran congregation in classical Lutheran elementary school? Parkland Lutheran Church and School in Tacoma, a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Synod, is the place to find our Savior's rest on Sunday mornings and Monday evenings. Visit our website at parklandlutheran.org for service times and downloadable sermons. Preaching, teaching, and distributing Christ and Him crucified every week. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. 
Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. You may be one of those pastors who need to be refreshed and refueled because of your parish ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Charles Geeshan. Concordia Theological Seminary has a wonderful program, not only in continuing education during the summer, but in an advanced study program called the Doctor of Ministry. And it's a very practical program because it focuses on congregational ministry, It incorporates biblical theology with the ministry of the congregation. It's also very accessible for pastors, and it's also affordable. You can major in pastoral care and leadership, teaching and preaching, or mission and culture. And we pray that pastors will take advantage of this program. Learn more about the Doctorate of Ministry program at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You and your church can offer comfort and consolation to those with mental illness and their loved ones. The church doesn't flinch from sickness and sorrow. The church doesn't attribute suffering to weakness and to sin, except original sin, which led to the fall of the entire world. The church preaches Christ crucified for all. That's from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Martin Luther on Mental Health. Call Concordia Publishing House and order this book, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. Sean, the Old Testament reading is Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. It's interesting, the Revised Common Lecture in the Roman Catholic Church Lectionary starts at verse 1. Usually we have more Bible than they do. Here we've cut out a section on the destruction of a strong city, gathering all of the formerly ruthless peoples who opposed the Lord's people in to his kingdom. And I have to confess, I'm not sure why it was omitted. It does seem to fit well with the gospel. In any case, we start on the Lord's mountain. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is a very famous passage that I think could be paired with, well, it mentions wine, could be paired with a whole host of gospel readings and statements of Jesus Christ. Isaiah is kind of like that, and that's why we're back in his prophecy, I'm sure. 
but in particular, it has just all sorts of little details that fit. Obviously, we have the preparation of rich fare and wine, just like the king announces. Interestingly, we have the mention of garments. We have this veil, this covering that's spread over the peoples. Here, it's a very negative thing. It's, in fact, the veil of death that the Lord, in fact, is going to take away. Whereas in the gospel, he's going to give something new as a, as a garment, perhaps. And that the Lord has spoken, he'll wipe every tear from every eye that's reprised in Revelation. But the Lord's mountain is the site of this lavish banquet. And it's not a day-long one of consumption, where we're the ones consuming. He shows that he is going to swallow up death by this banquet, which is such a beautiful turn of phrase. It's an image of the last day and of the resurrection. Together with the gospel, this is two of the many examples in the Bible where eternal life is described in the terms of a feast. It's one of the most frequent images for eternal life, a feast, that we're not in hunger anymore, but we have satisfaction, and that we are in fact gathered together with the Lord and with all those that he brings to his table. Now, I want to note that it's extremely tempting whenever you're talking about wine and a feast for us to talk about the Lord's Supper. And I think that makes good sense. There's no harm in that. But there could be a danger for us right now here. I have just observed over maybe the last 10 years that talking about heaven has really fallen out of favor. It's everywhere in our hymns, but it's not something that we tend to talk about much anymore. On the contrary, sacramental piety, talking about the Lord's Supper and its benefits, is something that everybody's talking about, and I do think that's very good. Well, this is an occasion, though, where I don't think it would be helpful for us to let the Lord's Supper overshadow the heavenly supper, you might say, the celestial banquet. And the reason is, it goes the other way, actually, that the Lord's Supper is leading us and is part and parcel of being invited to the Great Supper. And to talk about the Lord's heaven and his eternal life as a great supper is not to minimize and diminish the Lord's Supper in this life, but it's simply to recognize that salvation itself is the goal. It's the Lord gives us the Lord's Supper to forgive our sins and to bring us into his kingdom. But the fullness of that kingdom is even greater than the Lord's Supper, which somebody might be inclined to say is the greatest gift he gives us here on earth. So the banquets that are in view today in all of our readings are the eternal ones. Uh, and likewise, the consequences for rejecting his gifts are eternal. And in fact, if somebody does want to mention the supper or draw a connection to it, I think that should be the point. It should be in this pattern of rejection, the warning that we have from the gospel, which is contrasted with the eagerness and the constancy of receiving his salvation by those who await him, as our Old Testament reading says. Those who await the Lord are delighted in his salvation given in the sacrament now, but they certainly are never confused that they're waiting for the eternal banquet to be revealed, which will simply be of a different order. Verse 9 shows us from the eternal perspective what our temporal disposition really should be. We're waiting. That doesn't mean we're complacent and bored. It means we are eager and expectant, like a mother awaiting a child. We are waiting eagerly for his return recognizing that salvation is found in him alone, and therefore we are glad, we are rejoicing, leads us nicely into our epistle reading in a moment, not only in what we will have, but also we can rejoice even now, knowing 
what is to await us and what will come to us by his gift. What is Psalm 23 doing in this coming Sunday's Propers? Good question. We already heard it, didn't we? We heard it way back on Easter 4, which is called Good Shepherd Sunday. I think it's this wonderful common, I mean, this is everyone's favorite psalm. You don't get to choose it as your own because it belongs to all of us, and it is well known. And I couldn't honestly think of a better psalm if I were to choose the psalm that we all should know by heart. This is so beautiful, not only in its imagery, in its message that in the midst of the shadow of death, we have nothing to fear with the Lord beside us, that he in fact loves us and shepherds us and cares for us and protects us. But the allusions to the table, the allusions to the green pastures and the still waters and even the cup that runs over, it's so difficult for us not to think of the Lord's word and his sacraments, the Lord's supper, even the gift of baptism, I suppose, if you want to see it in the waters. And I think that's for good reason. It was historically appointed for Thursdays, the day of the institution of the Lord's Supper, when he himself shepherded his sheep, and I suppose when the shepherd was struck that evening. So I think we're not on a false territory to see it that way. I won't read it because I assume all of our listeners know it by heart. The psalm itself has kind of a three-chunk section. Uh, now he leads us. He leads us through the difficulty, the valley of the shadow of death. And finally, we do arrive by his mercy in his house to dwell forever. As a comment on our Old Testament reading, it can be seen expounding on that last verse. We've been waiting for him. Here now is what this wait has looked like, that he has shepherded us through many difficulties, but it is all worth it for the sake of living and dwelling forever in his house. And honestly, here, in my opinion, is the place where the Lord's Supper really could be salutarily referenced. In fact, it's even come into our liturgy in that small little Eucharistic prayer, the phrase that the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the feast to come. That is a good phrase to grasp and to express what I was mentioning before, that the eternal wedding banquet is really the greater of the two. And yet, because that is so great and because we long for it, it makes the Lord's Supper all the more delicious, if I can say that, all the more desirable to us in this veil of tears. It's the Lord's nature to feed. He does it with his word, which is our pasture. He does it with his sacrament, which is our strength in the midst of the enemies. And his salvation is not a surprise, matches that in its description of this beautiful heavenly banquet. We will get into the epistle for this coming Sunday, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost with Pastor Sean Denzer, that epistle Philippians 4, next. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? 
Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Your daily Lutheran Bible class. You're listening to Issues Etc. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. Sean, next up, the epistle reading from Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4. Very familiar to us. I'll read it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, the rejoicing here, maybe contrary to the songs we learned as a kid, the rejoicing here is not silly or superficial happiness that's oblivious to the pain or the suffering of this world. No, it's the deep, steadfast, solid joy of Christ Jesus and his resurrection. He says, uh, rejoice and let your reasonableness, your moderation, your lenity, your lack of panic and craziness, I think would be a fine translation. Let that be known to everybody why you are so reasonable. And here's the reason, because the Lord is at hand. What does that mean? It means that our Lord Jesus Christ has ascended and is in full command, ruling all things for the good of his church. It means that he's present with us according to his word and his sacraments. 
And above all, it means that we expect his imminent return and the resurrection of all flesh. We live oriented toward that coming. Like we, like we heard in the Old Testament, we're waiting for him. We're going to be glad and rejoice again when we see him. And that means that in this world, despite all of its instability, we Christians are not to be unstable. So that's why Paul goes on to talk about anxiety, which, of course, tempts us and plagues us and assaults every single one of us. But this is how a Christian deals with it, puts it away by the confidence of the resurrection, by the certainty of Christ Jesus, and puts it where it belongs, which is not expressed in anxiety and worry and complaining to our friends, but in prayer, in lament. We can call out to God and, and tell him to behold all the things that are going on, be very honest with him. Likewise, even to be bold to ask God to make good on his promises and rescue us, deliver us, save us. And with this, Paul then adds that thanksgiving is to be present everywhere. These are words that can be forgotten because they're so common. But to give thanks, to recognize and be grateful for, and to take a moment to think about all of the things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus, this also is a tremendous tool to soothe our anxiety and to strengthen our faith. Not because it distracts us from what's going on right now, but precisely because it causes us to consider him. And considering him is the thing that gives true peace. Now we have a familiar phrase that is the votum at the end of every sermon in many places, the peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That phrase is repeated a little later too after Paul says, think about the beautiful and good things, imitate me and all the beautiful and good things you have seen from me and the God of peace will be with you. I think when we read this in our English, it sounds almost like a trigger to Billy, right? Do these first things, think about beautiful things, and then you'll have some peace, or don't be anxious once you got that solved, uh, then you'll get some peace, I suppose. It doesn't mean that. Rather, it means the Lord is giving his blessing. So on top of saying, put your anxiety to rest in the Lord's peace and rejoice, and I'm giving you a promise now, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Sounds just like the ironic benediction. If the Lord's name is placed on us, if his beauty is holding us, then his peace follows with it. At the end, I won't go into great detail about this. If a pastor chooses to do that, he'll have the sermon just fine focused on this. But Paul gives him a little context uh, about how he is thankful that they've supported him in his ministry. Uh, and he knows how to be content whether he receives more or whether he is without. And the secret to being content is not ourselves. It's not our powers but it's the Lord who strengthens us and who gives us these great promises that cause us, even in the midst of struggles and trials, to say, yeah, the Lord is at hand. I can rejoice. I can go to him in prayer, and I can be at peace, even if the world is very troubled. What are the gradual in verse? The gradual continues our little season here, you might call it, after St. Michael and all angels. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Interesting, if we were to expand out the parable where the king is inviting people to his eternal wedding feast, I suppose that would make the troops that go and do the slaughtering, the angels. That's certainly what they are, the Lord's Sabaoth, his armies. And yet we see that after the, the murderous business is done, 
they and his servants go to gather in the faithful and to guard their passage to the king's banquet. Well, this is also what the holy angels have been sent to do for us, that they guard us in his ways, that they bring us to the way, Christ Jesus and his word. Our verse then is from Revelation twenty-two seventeen, which says, The spirit and the bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Really, this is a quote almost uh, from Isaiah 55 again, which we've heard earlier this year, with an overt audition of the groom and the bride, where the church is now the bride of Christ. The spirit is with her and she is singing and waiting for that groom, Christ Jesus, to return at the last day. And notice that church who has the spirit is not full up, you might say, not arrogant, not proud about it, as if she had no need of the Father and the Son anymore. No, it's precisely the one who has that receives more, Jesus says. It's the one who has received and tasted of him, who wants more of him, who recognizes that this is a gracious, undeserved gift, doesn't presume upon it, but rather delights in it and is eager to receive it all the more. That is the character of faith. The gospel, the great parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22 is next as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. You can listen to our new audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. It's voiced by the book's author, Pastor Todd Peppercorn, and includes an introduction voiced by Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Just go to issuesetc.org, enter your email address, and we'll send you a link to the audiobook, I Trust When Dark My Road, A Lutheran View of Depression. Issuesetc.org, and enter your email address. Job saw the city as a wasteland, as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. The Gospels report Jesus saying some rather shocking things. For instance, in Luke 14, he tells his disciples, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can Jesus say such things? What about some of the other more difficult teachings of Scripture? Do you have questions about them? Well, we answer many of these in the October issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pick up your copy today at cph.org slash witness. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C, The number four, C. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Gloria Day Lutheran, Davie, Florida. Hope Lutheran, Spokane Valley, Washington. Lutheran Church of the Cross, Rockville, Maryland. Our Redeemer Lutheran, Kingsford, Michigan. Redeemer Lutheran, Fairhope, Alabama. St. John Lutheran, Clintonville, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, Hamill, Illinois. Trinity Lutheran, Fredericktown, Missouri. And Zion Lutheran, Embarrass, Wisconsin. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, is our guest. Sean, take us into Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding feast. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. They paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out to the road, gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Maybe it's helpful to start at the end. Many are called and few, the many and the few here almost fling apart from each other to really mean all are called and very few are chosen or select few are chosen or not everyone is chosen, you might say. And this is the nature of the Lord's invitation that, of course, his grace is universal and yet not all receive it. So our parable is very strongly connected to the preceding. The people he's speaking to are the leaders of the Jewish people, the religious leaders. And we have a son of the king again. This time he's having his wedding feast. And the Lord gives a totally prepared invitation. There are no catches here at all. It's entirely gracious. And it shows his delight, how he spells out how everything's prepared. He's glad that it is. And he just wants everybody to come. And you see how then dastardly the people are who reject such an offer from a gracious king. This phrase, everything is ready, come to the feast, sometimes gets inserted into the liturgy almost as an invitation to the Lord's Supper. I don't think it's necessary at that point in the liturgy, but also it's open to a little misunderstanding. The readiness 
should be our focus there. It's it's not the point that, well, now the pastor's done with the setup, so you can come up from your pews now. But the point is that the Lord has prepared this by his work. So this is true both of the sacrament and of his eternal salvation. It's prepared by Christ's work that is finished, he says on the cross. It's tied to his atoning blood, right? Something has to be sacrificed. In the case of the gospel as it is, the Lord himself has been sacrificed for our salvation. And so it is offered out of his grace rather than out of our merit. It's, it's his works that have accomplished this. So that's really what's behind that. And it's true about the Lord's Supper. It's all the more true about salvation. What does that say about the worthiness then? Well, the worthiness here, I think, really is a foreshadowing of the sheep and the goats parable we'll hear at the end of Matthew 25. Those who care so greatly about their worthiness, those are the ones who actually get cast out on those grounds. Turns out they don't prove to be worthy. No worthiness at all is mentioned on those who attend and, and are received into the feast and stay there and fill the hall with guests because they're the ones who receive grace gladly. The garment then we come to after the Lord has his wrath, after he invites and fills the hall with guests, still something is not right. And our eyes focus on the garment, and I think it's a, a confusing thing. What we can say for certain is it's another affront to this king in some way. Look at the pattern. They aren't worthy. They reject him by rejecting his servants and all of this. So however it is, the one who's shown up in this way rejects what was required or what was expected or perhaps what was even given to them in this wedding garment. And notice his response. His response isn't, oh, I'm sorry, how can I correct this? Oh, I repent, Lord. Oh, well, I'll find one and come back. He's speechless. He doesn't think he has to answer for himself. And I think that's quite significant. That certainly has been the case as we've seen in the Gospels, that the Pharisees, when confronted by Jesus, don't know what to say. A moment ago, Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do this. So how to pin down the garment into something in particular is difficult. But I think what is important to see is it's not a trick. It's not a catch. It's not like the Lord's banquet is some bureaucratic system or DMV office with complicated forms and nobody there is willing to help you succeed in filling them out. It's just trap after trap to make you fail. This is not the way the Lord is. His loving kindness is openly inviting. And so when we see this person who's cast out because he's not wearing the garment, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like he got there confused because he had the wrong dress code, which happens to me all the time. But it is, in fact, because he despises the Lord. I think Isaiah 61 or other passages about garments and robes and even the giving in of the changes of clothes in the Old Testament shows that this is a matter of grace and not works. Now, some have even kind of turned that into a saying that some have asserted that in the Middle East, this was a custom that you would give garments to people who came to your house so they would look appropriate. I don't know if that's actually true. I haven't found evidence of that. But I do think the theological point it's getting after is very sound, that the Lord's grace is on display here, which is what makes the rejection of that grace so doubly abominable. We don't choose our own way. We don't choose our own means. We don't come to him on our own terms. Whether he bought the suit or set the dress code, the point is when he gives an invitation, faith says, yes, amen, I need that. 
What would you say about some of the hymns in the coming Sunday? Hymn 510, A Multitude Comes from the East and the West, is a great one of a Scandinavian background. And I think if you haven't learned it yet, this is definitely the year to learn it. It'll be great for the Epiphany season. You might consider restoring stanza two, which you'll find in the Lutheran hymnal number 415, among other places. And that's because it's the warning of judgment. Woe to those who cast aside as many of our other hymns say. And the judgment is kind of one of the central points here, underscored with this parable and the wedding garment matter. I want to speak about another gem, too, a gem from Lutheran worship, the hymnal from the 1980s, that you may have forgotten about. And this is O Kingly Love That Faithfully by Martin Franzman. It's number 346 in Lutheran worship. It's got a challenging tune, so it might be something for the choir to pick up rather than the congregation. But it's beautiful, and it is speaking about this and the other parables like it. Cast, I think, a little bit in our time and asking that the Lord would let his gospel call go out again with a refrain that will sound very familiar. And I think I'll just read this text to us for our enjoyment and appreciation and let that be the last word today. O kingly love, that faithfully didst keep thine ancient promises, didst bid the bidden come to thee, the people thou didst choose to bless. This day we raise our song of praise, adoring thee, that in the days when alien sound had all but drowned thine ancient true and constant melody, thy mighty hand did make a trumpet none could silence or mistake. Thy living breath did blow for all the world to hear, living and clear. This is that trumpet sound. The feast is ready. Come to the feast. The good and the bad, come and be glad. Greatest and least, come to the feast. O lavish love that did prepare a table bounteous as your heart, that men might leave their puny care and taste and see how good thou art. This day we raise our song of praise adoring thee. In the days when alien sound did all but drown thine ancient, true, and constant melody, thy mighty hand did make a trumpet none could silence or mistake. Thy living breath did blow for all the world to hear, living and clear. The feast is ready, come to the feast, the good and the bad. Come and be glad, greatest and least, come to the feast. O seeking love, thy hurrying feet, go searching still to urge and call the bad and good on every street to fill thy boundless banquet hall. This day we raise our song of praise, adoring thee, that in the days when aliens sounded all but drowned thine ancient true and constant melody, thy mighty hand did make a trumpet that none could silence or mistake. Thy living breath did blow for all the world to hear, living and clear. The feast is ready. Come to the feast, the good and the bad. Come and be glad. Greatest and least, come to the feast. O holy love, thou canst not brook man's cool and careless enmity. O ruthless love, wilt not look on man robed in contempt of thee. Thine echoes die, our deeds deny thy summoning. Our darkling cry, our meddling sound have all but drowned that song that once made every echo ring. Take up again, O take the trumpet none can silence or mistake, and blow once more for us and all the world to hear, living and clear. The feast is ready, come to the feast. The good and the bad, come and be glad. Greatest and least, 
come to the feast. Sean, what can you tell us about the 2024 Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music? The Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music brings together church musicians uniquely, but also pastors and interested laypersons around what is common to all of our churches, worship, the songs of Christ that dwell richly in us. Particularly this year, we are going to focus on psalms. The psalms in the great congregation, we're going to sing all 150 of them and pray them through the course of the week. And we're going to gather in learning to hone our craft, whether from the pulpit and the chancel or from the balcony and the bench, so that we can all be singing and praying and proclaiming in harmony our Lord's deliverance and the songs thereof. Join us next summer, July 9 through 12, 2024, in Seward, Nebraska, on the campus of Concordia University, Nebraska, and St. John Lutheran Church. Learn more about next year's Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music, July 9th through the 12th at Concordia University, Nebraska, on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you. Peace be with you. When we come back on this Wednesday, October the 11th, it's a listener email, the Issues Etc. comment line. Then we'll talk Christianity and myths and how the myth became real with Dr. John Bombaro, author of a column titled, When the Myth Became Fact. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. 
Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Do you dread going to work out? Performance Fitness in Edwardsville offers a fun, supportive, tight-knit community and environment. Visit them on the web at performancefitness618.com or call 618-692-5063. Performance Fitness is the facility in the St. Louis Metro East where the focus is on member results, not membership numbers. 618-692-5063 or performancefitness618.com. Performance Fitness of Edwardsville. The Lord has sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. In the Confession of Lutheran Dogmatics on Holy Scripture, I seek to expound and defend the doctrine of Holy Scripture in three areas. Dr. Jack Kilcrease talking about his new book in the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, Holy Scripture. One, the absolute truthfulness of Holy Scripture. Two, the Christ-centered nature of Holy Scripture. And three, to expound and defend the doctrine of Holy Scripture in a postmodern environment. Learn more about Holy Scripture at lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com.